Welcome. I want to touch on the spirit of giving back a bit. In bonus content over 12 days, I am challenging myself to bring people forward in stories on angelically giving, 12 days of tales of love and generosity. In this series, witness the unveiling remarkable story of 12 individuals who have triumphed over adversity and despite facing their own trials, have chosen a path of faith and selfless giving. Welcome back to our 12 days of giving. Today, I have another special guest. Today, I have Melvin Negron. He is the founder and CEO of Gangsters Gone Godly. Um, I've personally uh, taken the time to talk to Melvin off, uh, off camera, and I'm really excited to have him on and tell his mission and, and tell how he got there. So thank you, Melvin, for joining us. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm good. I'm good. Truly blessed. Um, tell us a little bit about your background and, you know, what brought you to this place? Oh, wow. Um, so basically, uh, I guess it starts off with uh, my past. You know, everybody has a, a foundation to where things start in their life. And mine started pretty early. I came from an abusive home um, with, uh, you know, physical, emotional, mental, sexual abuse in the household uh, from my mo my mother's boyfriend. Um, I left the home at an early age. Um, I ran away at first, and then I was put into the uh, child division of youth and family services. Yeah, so once my father heard about that, um, because my father didn't live with my mom. Um, they had separated when I was two, but he was still like around, um, but he wasn't like engulfed into my life and everything. He immediately made, uh, you know, to try and get, you know, custody of me, but because of who my father was and what he was involved in, you know, being a, um, it was more of a longer process than anything. So. I stayed into the system and while being in the foster home, I caught my first case at the age of 11, trying to beat up my mom's boyfriend with a couple friends and went to Skillman. It's a juvenile prison here in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it was, that's where everything kind of basically started in and out of prison as a juvenile, um, the whole juvenile time until you know, uh, I did two and a half years at the age of 11. So when kids were actually playing, you know, Atari or, you know, the Nintendo or anything like that, I was trying to be the guy on the streets. You know, I didn't want to be at home because I was scared, but I was intrigued by everything that was on the streets. I seen the guys with the jewelry, the cars, the money, the girls, everything, all that whole lifestyle. And you know, I I wanted that. I gravitated to all that. So it brought me, you know, all I wanted to do was, I didn't care how I did it. I, you know, I, I was, at, to be 100% truth, I was scared to death. But I knew that 
I was safer on the streets than I was um, in my household. And oh God, I'm sorry you had to go through all that. Yeah, it, I mean, it 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 was crazy because not to take anything away from my mother, um, she tried. She really tried. Uh, she worked so hard, you know, and that's where I think the the problem lied. Is she she literally? I remember there were times where she was doing three jobs at a time, so she hardly was ever home. So this guy was mainly there, you know, and. He, I mean, he he had demons of his own. Like he just everything, everything was a problem. Everything was, you know, an issue with him. So, them years that I, you know, I remember a lot was nothing good whenever he was around. So, you know, we tried to avoid him as much as we could until finally my sister, my sister got up and ran away, and I pretty much followed right after her you know and but like i said i was intrigued by the streets and you know even though at the at that time it might have been the wrong decision for me it was the right decision um as being a hispanic uh, and i say this a lot we got a tendency to be uh brought up whatever happens in the house stays in the house you know, we're not supposed to talk about it. You can't go to a teacher. You can't go to a um, a counselor, you know, because you'll get even in more trouble. So I didn't know where to turn. I couldn't go to anybody. If I tried to even go to family members, you know, I just see how they reacted towards everybody else. So I stayed completely quiet and said, you know what? When when enough was enough, I just left, you know? Um, what grade did you make it to? Oh, no, that was the thing. Uh, I think because of who my mother was, I actually graduated high school. Um, wow. Yeah, I didn't. I, it's Congratulations strange. on that. Considering all of that you went through. Yeah. 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 In and out of, as a juvenile. So as a, a juvenile, I was in and out. And every time I came home, I was mandated to go to school. So I went to school. I did, you know, what I was supposed to. I actually felt safe in school versus I wasn't there because I wanted to do better and get an education. You know, my younger years was just, I was out of the house. I was away from, you know, the foster care. I was away from the jail. So let me go there because I'm, I feel like a normal kid. Um, but again, like I said, I was intrigued by the streets. So as soon as I would get out of school, I would go to the block. And I I hung around with a lot of older guys. And when I say older guys, I'm not even talking about older teenagers. I hung out with older men, like the guys that were friends with my dad and, you know, gaining experience from them. And I always wanted to... I guess you could say I wanted to do better than what they were doing. Just, you know, instead of hanging out at the pool hall and things like that and the domino club and stuff. So school was my way to, you know, I'm going to do what they're doing, but I'm going to do it better. And I'm going to be smarter about it. That was like, I had that mentality. Um, So I stayed in school and even through the years of going back and forth to Jamesburg, um, I, you know, was going to school while I was in Jamesburg. When I come home, go right back to school. And then my last two years 
I did at the adult center just to get credits so that I could walk because I had missed a lot of, you know, being locked up. I missed a lot of, didn't get a lot of credits. So eventually, long story short, I ended up going and graduating and being able to walk with my class. That's amazing. Not a lot of people can say that. Nah, and that was the thing. And it's it's messed up to say my reasons behind it. Um, but like I said, at the age of 14, I had uh, been was introduced to the Almighty Latin King Nation. And it was, you know, that's a gang that tells you they're about unity, about brotherhood, about you know, loving and caring and, and showing that, you know, as Latinos, we were uh, kings and queens. A family. So what I was lacking at home, I was getting it from this gang, you know, and, but there was education behind it. And I was being, you know, learn the history of who you are, of being Latino, being Puerto Rican, you know, and I I don't know why, but for whatever reason, I went 100% in. Like, I just had to learn and learn and learn, and I wanted to learn more. But it got to the point where now the learning that they were, you know, basically enforcing had, a, you know, um, had, had a cost. Mean, yeah, had a real bad cost. But I wanted to be... I didn't want to be just a gang member. I didn't want to be affiliated. I wanted to be the boss. I wanted to be the first crown. And the only way to do it, a lot of people always think, oh, I got to be the hardest or the toughest. You know what I'm saying? No. In order for me, it was always to be, to get that respect. I got to be the wisest. I got to be the smartest. You know, I like literally, and it's sad to say, I envisioned Every from the mafia to the street gangs to the um the 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 drug dealers that were on the street corners, one thing that I noticed about them was they were all smart in their own way, but dumb in the choices that they made if that makes sense like they were <laughs> reckless in the choices that they made, yeah, yeah, so I just was like, you know what, I'll take a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And this is not, believe me, when I'm speaking right now, it's not to glorify or anything of that world because that world is nothing but the devil's deceit. You know, it's manipulation, it's confusion. Um, but this is how easy it was for someone like me that was lacking love, lacking, you know, that 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 child, being that childlike person that just wanted to be loved with by his family. It became intriguing, you know what I'm saying? And I didn't know what it was to not only not have love for my family, but not have love of God. I always used to sit there and say, at the end of the day, you know, I knew the Bible, I knew what it said, but God was not for me. He wasn't, you know, against me, if anything, because he allowed so much hurt in my life. He allowed so much pain. So if he was really there for me, then why did I go through all these things? Like I kept on like pointing the finger and saying, you know what, forget you, I'm gonna do me. And I did that with everything. So I ended up uh, pushing the limits and becoming one of the youngest first crowns in the Latin Kings by the age of 18. And 
not for nothing, it was probably one of the biggest mistakes and choices that I ever made. Um, but uh, for me at that time, I thought I was uh, on top of the world. You know, I got guys that were 20, 30 years older than me doing everything that I said, anything that I wanted, uh, just listening to me, you know, had hundreds of thousands of guys underneath of me. But so it's kind of like having that respect that you didn't get at home from your own family. Right. And I mean, with everything, like I said, there's a cost to it. Um, you know, I, I wasn't, you know, that in itself was one thing, but I wanted, I wanted it all. I wanted to be that, that drug dealer, that kingpin. I wanted to be, um, you know, that person that was that well-known. Um, I didn't want to live in my father's shadow. I didn't want to live in nobody else's shadow. But I didn't realize I was just causing major destruction to myself. Um, you know, drugs became a part of my story because, of, you know, I, I sold drugs. And I don't have a story like everybody, you know, not I don't want to say like everybody else, but like a lot of people do where I was... Uh, you know, either peer pressured or tempted. I actually caught a drug habit by just bagging up, you know, um, bagging up heroin for almost the whole year, every single day. And before I knew it, uh, you know, there was no more dope. And next thing you know, I'm sick, you know. But uh, one thing I can honestly say is that without me knowing God was always really there. I would always say he wasn't, but he always protected me. He always saved me because he did have a bigger purpose. He had a, a bigger plan for me. I just didn't know it. So whenever the drug addiction got really bad or whenever the um, the lifestyle got really bad where, you know, I'm about to catch a case or I'm about to go into a major gang war you know, with other gangs or organizations, or I'm about to get this, you know, big bust, you know, the cops are going to run down on me. God actually would intervene. Now, it wouldn't intervene the way that I would have wanted it to be, but he always stuck me in a place back in jail to save me. So the cliche that everyone you say, I didn't get arrested, I got rescued. That was really true for me. Yeah. You know, every time I went to jail, if I now that I think back about it, wow, that day that I got locked up, this and this happened. You know, um, that could have been me. I could have been the one that got shot or I could have been the one that caught the body or I could have been the one that OD'd or I could have been the one that could have been doing a life sentence right now for uh, a drug raid and, you know, whatever the case. So it was like God always, you know, was there but I didn't see it and I didn't understand it. And that went on, I want to say for oh, close to 30 years of my life. In between, wow. in and out. Yeah, in and out of prisons. Um, I spent close to 28 and a half years inside prisons. Um, the longest stretch I had was 10 years. Um, but after that, it was always like two years here, three years there, three and a half, five, things like that. Um, but it was 28 and a half years in prison. Um, and it didn't stop. 
all the way up until my 40s. Like, I didn't, I didn't start to see the light until my baby brother passed away. You know, um, my brother Kevin, he, uh, he was seven years younger than me and he, he, he overdosed on heroin, um, the night before, well, actually that morning of, um, my birthday and he was supposed to be going to court that same morning to be sentenced to, uh, go to prison. And, uh, he didn't, um, so I think that's what the main cause of, like, I don't think he intentionally tried to kill himself or he intentionally tried to, you know, get so high, but I think he hurt himself. He was hurting so bad that he was about to leave his wife and his kids and go do five years that he really just, you know, was like, he didn't want to deal with reality and he ended up dying. And, I think what hurt the most was me and my brother were beefing at that time. We were having a lot of uh, problems. And the last words I said to him, I actually cussed him out the day before and told him he wasn't worth nothing. And so that was my last words to him. Wow. And, you know, it it hurt me a lot. I mean to lose my brother because me and my brother were very close. You know, we had years apart from each other, but growing up, every time I came home, he was right there. Um, he hung out with me, you know, he hustled with me. He did everything with me. Um, we, we were super close like that. So to lose him and to lose him, how I lost him, knowing that I wasn't the big brother that I should have been towards for him. You know, um, it, it kind of like broke me and he's the reason that I actually, uh, was able to walk away from the Latin Kings a year later. Now I didn't change my life, but I, you know, I guess you could say he was the first step. So he was the challenge of losing your brother shaped your perspective on life and giving back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my brother, when he passed away, you know, like I said, it broke me. It, 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 it caused something inside of me to just like, I can't keep doing this. I should have been a better brother to him. I should have been more. And to see that he left a daughter and three sons behind and they kind of like, even though they were little that, you know, they kind of idolized the life that they had. They're like, Oh, their dad was this, their uncle was this. You know, um, and I didn't want that. I I had to make amends. And the way to make amends for me was, you know, I had to change my life, you know, for them. You know, I had kids of my own, but, you know, it was like, for whatever reason, and again, it, it, my, it was a wrong decision, but for whatever reason, it's like, I, like they they were good moms, so it's like I didn't worry about it, you know. Right. And with with my son, with my nephews, it was like their mother's great, but she got four young kids right now, and she's gonna go through a lot. And I can't, I don't want to be a cause 
of why them kids going growing up to be something like me or like my brother Kevin or any of my brothers for that matter because every single one of my brothers was street kids. So a year a year actually after my brother passed away, I had uh written a bunch of letters to uh the Supremas in the Almighty Latin King Nation from New York to Chicago to Texas asking permission to walk away from the gang. Now, once you're a Latin King, you're in for life. It's basically a blood in, blood out type deal. Um, and they're serious about it. It's not like a little street gang that you grew up in the projects or in a certain neighborhood that if I decide I'm done, I'm done. You know, this is like the second largest gang in the world. Mm-hmm. And they were really about that that you know once you're in you're in for life and if your father your mother your sister your brother is in a rival gang best believe you better choose the right side or else your life is taken so uh a few years before i decided to want to leave king blood had opened what they call um the golden gates and he basically just gave permission for anybody that wanted to walk away from the Latin Kings, the opportunity to walk away. No, no strings attached, not with, for no fear, no nothing. But, uh, I didn't take it at that time. And I had to me in my head, whoever did, they was just cowards in the first place. So we were just weeding them out anyway. Um, but when it came down to it at that time with my brother, it was like, now I need them gates open once again. So initially, you know, they were like, you got 28 years doing this. No, da, 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 saying all this stuff to me, telling me that, you know, you can't leave just like that. Um, but then King Blaze, he was basically my godfather. Um, he sent a letter from Leavenworth uh, Prison, Federal Prison in Texas, telling them, um, and he was one of the founders of the Latin Kings in in New York in 1986 under King Blood. He um, sent the letter out basically saying to, to release me, to let me go, because I literally shed blood, sweat, and tears for the nation, and I had a bigger purpose. Now, he wasn't talking spiritually, but I believe God was putting that in his heart that it was going to be a spiritual thing. Um, he was more talking like political, you know, he wrote the letter and I was able to go, but it wasn't without, um, consequences. So I had to come to Atlantic city and face what they call a 360. And in that 360, I had three guys around me, uh, were going to basically beat on me for 90 seconds without me swinging back. And I had to have, you know, put the crown above my head without it letting fall, you know, it letting drop below my head. So with my hands, I would make the sign of the crown, put it above my head. And these guys went ahead and just started pounding on me. Um, I ended up five broken ribs, collapsed lung. Uh, I was, I was beat up real bad. Um, but I was able to walk away 
and live to talk about it and be, t- you know, tell them straight up. Like at the end of the day, I'm leaving this way and I basically earned my respect to leave for not only by what I did in the nation, but what I'm doing right now. And that no one can stop me from doing what I'm doing or what I, you know, whatever I got planned to do. Now, mind you, I walked away from the Latin Kings, but I didn't walk away from the lifestyle. I was still hustling. I was still um, getting high, drinking, partying. Um, But I was, you know, it was like that was the first step. And eventually, you know, the next eight years, I want to say, let me see, eight, two, about yeah, about eight years or seven years. It was that lifestyle, and then it's something you know, out of a movie. You know this, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of people say that. <laughs> but what you're talking about is kind of like something you would see in like a Scarface movie. I mean, it really. <laughs> I didn't know anything about your, like the Golden Gates. I mean. I, I, I want to, I would love to know why they actually started that because I mean, it seems like for such a family oriented, you blood in blood out. And then for them to offer it somewhere in their hearts, they had to know that it was okay to let people go. And I mean, I think, you know, if they took a play on that, you know, th- that would start a lot of people who feel like they make the bad decision in the beginning and start to grow up, that would help them. Well, to be totally honest, the reason the Golden Gates were even open, um, it had nothing to do with compassion or caring or realizing that some people made the wrong choice. King Blood was facing um, a, a couple life sentences under, you know, in the prison. And his only way of letting, uh, of not having a whole bunch of people testify against him um and really like bury him was to give him the opportunity for the ones that couldn't handle it to walk away with no strings attached so that they felt safe enough to walk away and not feel like, Oh, I got to tell or say this, you know, and get protected by the government. So to be honest with links. You, yeah. So to be honest with you, the Latin Kings didn't do anything out of compassion. They did it to cover themselves. King Blood did that whole thing to cover himself, you know, and there were a lot of guys that truly did walk away. Like they really took a second, you know, like, oh, let me think about this. We're talking about this man's facing over 100 years in prison, you know, and it could possibly be something that I might have to face one day if I stay here. So those people, you know, that were that actually walked away were the ones that kind of were like, uh, I guess, by the king's eyes, by Latin King's point of view, they were um, they were the soft ones. They should have never been a Latin King in the first place. Now you had the guys that were, um, nah, I'm gonna stay here. I'm gonna ride or die. I'm gonna be this. I'm gonna be that. You had those, and still be, you know not as uh dedicated and, and as committed to the latin kings and still ended up telling but that's that's part of the game like that's where the the lies and the deception come that they believe you they they have people believing that they're really going to be there and no matter what they're going to ride or die not all of them not honestly i can't i can say there's some 
that I truly believe will give their life up for the cause or for you know the gang or whatever. But no, that's like a what five percent of everybody that's a part of it. Yeah. Um, now there are ways to walk away from the gang. Um, now you know, uh, cause once blood got sentenced to, you know, he got like 180 some years in prison. Um, Chicago came, took over, uh, and you know, they gave the opportunity for people to walk away as well, but they have to go through this, you know, process. Um, and a lot of guys start to think about it. I I was one of the lucky ones that I was able to go away with five broken ribs and a collapsed lung. That was considered lucky. Not everybody gets that opportunity. Some actually end up, well, if you want to leave, you're going to have to do this. You're going to have to do that. And, you know, it can be, a, it can be almost anything. But then you have some guys that someone like me can walk into um, what they call a 360 uh, uh, Latin King meeting and speak to the, the, you know, first crown and the second crown and ask for a pardon, basically. And because of who I am and because of the person that I am, I'm able to go ahead and they'll give me that respect as to well, why do you want me? Why should we let him go? He know he knew the choices. He knew the consequences when and we'll sit down, have a discussion about it. And they, you know, I've gotten a couple people out, but there are a couple people that I've gotten them out. And I'll be honest with you, they were so intrigued by the lifestyle that they went from one gang to the next gang. And oh, it was wow. like, man, it didn't like, at the end of the day, like I, I put myself on the line for you to get you out. And it was just so you can go somewhere else. So, but it's a lesson learned. I won't stop doing what I do though. You know, if people really want to get out and people really need the help, I'm going to help them, you know? So that kind of started your mission. Can you describe a specific moment in your getting out your 360 that made you say, I'm going to do this for the next person? Um, well, that didn't happen for actually like years later uh, initially i was i'll be honest i was more concerned about myself than trying to help anybody else get out um it wasn't until 2016 that i decided to really like change a lot of things and um i gave my life to christ it was my last prison bid it was my smallest prison bid at that and i had given my life to christ and God truly showed me so many different miracles that he wanted to, you know, do with my life in the short time that I was in there. I was supposed to do a total of 10 years and I ended up only doing 10 months and was able to come home. So when I came home, now the true test begins. God, is this what you have planned for me is to be, you know, someone to tell my testimony from what I had learned and what I had read through fellowship and Bible study. Is this what I'm supposed to do? But immediately I wasn't doing any uh, 
gang preventions or helping people with, you know, that were coming home from jails and things like that. I was just out in the community sharing my testimony, going to the block, going to, you know, the different projects and talking to the guys and letting them know you can change, you know, God is the way. Um, look what he's done in my life. You guys know me, but it wasn't until 2018 when my second brother passed away that I knew it was time to really do different. Like I needed to do more. My brother Coco um, had passed away from an overdose as well. And it like, it, it brought back everything that happened with Kevin. Um, it was like, man, this is like a deja vu all over again. Like, this is crazy. And to me, I felt like God was trying to tell me something. Look, you know, you're. it's good that you're out here and you're telling your testimony and you're helping homeless and you're feeding the homeless and you're doing all these things. But this is not what I called you for. You know, um, this is not, that isn't your testimony. And, you know, you have to do more. So went ahead and um now things are starting to be different uh started you know wanting to reach the guys that were coming home ones that were coming home from drug programs the ones that were coming home from the prisons i wanted to touch their lives because at the end of the day uh i lived that life i knew what it was to come home be home a couple weeks and feel like you're not doing anything. Like you don't have a job. You got all these strikes against you. So let me go back to the streets. Let me go back to that lifestyle because I can make it there. I can survive there. So in the process of doing, you know, creating an event um, for my brother's passing, I ended up uh, myself along with, uh, Pastor Vicky Menes, we ended up form, uh, putting together um, the ministry, Gangsters Gone Godly. At that time, we didn't know what it really it was. I, I literally have a video of me just talking at the event and saying, man, we're about to start this thing. And I don't know, maybe it's going to be called Gangsters Gone Godly. And that's where the name, like out of the blue, it just came out. Like God gave me those words. And, but it was definitely meant to go ahead and, you know, um, help the guys that were coming home and that had been through the same things that myself and Vic had been through, you know, and now it's like, okay, now we're going to try and help you not only to help empower you through, you know, um, to help you get a job, teach you how to, you know, do uh make a resume help you with job interviews um help restore family uh relationships with your, your your significant other wife girlfriend whatever or even build a relationship with your kids you know for the time that was lost this is everything that we needed to do and so that you can walk away completely from that life and no turning back at all so, yeah, I want to say like in 2018, all that started and, and God has been good because uh, the what I thought was just a vision for locally and violent, God has, you know, told me like at the end of the day, 
you forgot where you were and what you did, um, your story is not just for here, it's for everywhere. And because of that, I've been able to travel all over the country and be able to not just do in the city of Ireland, but also do, you know, from Philly, New York, Texas, um, Kansas, uh, man, Florida, Atlanta, you know, different cities all around the uh, country because I might've done everything here or my story might've been in the Bronx, but at the end of the day, um, my story resonates with a lot of people in a lot of other cities and in a lot of other places. No, for sure. What, um, what did you find were like the biggest hurdles as you were trying to, you know, touch the lives of others? Were you hit with any adversity? Were you hit with negativity from the guys? Did they take you seriously? You know, what's crazy is the guys took us, uh, took us very serious. It was the community that didn't, um, the, the, the police officers, the churches, the, um, politicians, anybody that was supposedly, you know, wanting to do right by the city of Ireland, they thought what me and Pastor Vic were doing at that particular time, oh yeah, they'll be back to their old ways. So we got, um, our challenges came from everyone else except for the guys. The guys that we would reach out to they embraced us with open arms because the one thing that we were doing that was similar but a, a lot different than the gangs was we were showing real genuine love to these guys, you know, and not just the men, but we were showing it to the to the women, to the families of these, you know, formerly incarcerated, uh, former gang members, former drug addicts. So, and they could, you know, relate to us. We weren't just talking like, you know, oh, I went to school, I read a book. And it's not to take anybody that, you know, has done that in their lives. But I went to school, I read a book and, you know, I graduated at, you know, in psychology or in street this. No, we lived it. So because they knew who we were, they knew about us. Even if they didn't know us personally, they knew like the name. I know who you are. Oh, that's Nugget. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I know you guys. I know exactly who you are. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I heard about you guys. You guys got a lot of stain. You got a lot of respect on the streets. All right. Uh, now they see like, man, if they can change and God's taking them and doing what they're doing, they respect that. And that was one thing that I could say that the streets, I, to this day, isn't in me for the streets. Really, a lot of the guys, and I'm not saying everybody, and I'm not saying all 100%, but there's more respect coming from the streets than there is from the rest of society. They right, understand. They, they kind of don't believe. Right. And and they they understand what it is to respect or to be loyal versus certain communities, certain people in the community, because their loyalty has limitations. Some of these guys, why would I have limitations? I have nothing. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to just keep going, you know? So it 
it, it's hard to really like explain, but that's just where they were. So when they seen us doing this, hey, all that's all they wanted, man. All I need is a chance, it's a chance to do right, you know, uh, a chance to, you know, want to make a difference. Now, New and, Jersey laws changed a lot because, you know, even from expungements, you know, there's mm -hmm. a lot of um, things that have changed in New Jersey. And I think it's because of coalitions and, and activists. You know, it, it, you got two options. You are either standing for us or or not. And I think that maybe it, it joggled some, you know, heads in, in, um, in the government because they actually did make those changes. Mm-hmm. No, and it did. It like I said when I when we started this, those were our biggest um, adversities. Were the city officials, uh, laws, community, you know, people in the community, people that are doing things in the community. But you know, through perseverance, dedication, and seeing how serious we were about it. I mean, but we're still doing things in the community. You know, we're still doing the same thing. He, He's just, you know, he became a full-time pastor and started doing his own thing where I'm still the, the evangelist, still, you know, on these streets, you know, hands down. And he's doing it with more with the youth where I'm still with the guys walking out of the jails. So we all, we, you know, we're both doing the same thing. We just have a different way of going about things. And I respect everything that he does. I love what he's doing, you know. Um, and I think it's people like Victor that are opening more doors, you know, for the politicians and the community leaders. Because I, I held, uh, um, and that's to be like, 100% transparent. I held a little animosity towards them. Like I didn't need them. I'm going to still keep doing what I'm doing, you know? So if the police don't want to get involved, if the mayor doesn't want to get in, oh, well, where Vic, you know, he went to them more and he let them know, look, we got to do this. And I'm starting to, you know, change that, you know, as far as through the ministry itself, where we do connect with a lot of uh, community leaders and different um, political uh, people that are involved that can help make those changes. And I'm seeing it throughout the years. Like, you know, now we have where we're doing events and I'm able to actually, like this past year for the first time ever, and I, I know it was all God, but I was able to break um, you know, where we're not allowed to bring Christ or anything Christ-like into the school system. And that changed in the city of Ireland. I brought the whole day of an event of bringing Christ in. Either you let me know that I can come in because I'm not going to hold back from what God is doing in my life and what how God has changed my life. And I believe that God, I don't want, I'm not going to disrespect anybody. But, you know, at the end of the day, if you want me to speak, if you want me to come in, then these are my stipulations. Your and, terms. You know, yeah. And we were able to do that. And, you know, they sent out uh, permission slips and some parents didn't want their kids in school that day or whatever. But it, it was a beautiful thing. You know, um, it still was a great turnout. A lot of kids showed up. And 
I'm seeing more and more of that. You know, one thing I can say, look, the devil's been exposing himself more and more every single day. He's out in the open. He's letting it be known. Um, he's there on the front line. He's in the news. He's in social media. He's in everything. He's not hiding. So why should we? You know, um, my whole thing is that I'm going to be right there. I've always considered myself as a frontline soldier for everything that I ever did, whether it was gangbanging, whether it was hustling, whether it was in jail, whatever it was. But now for the kingdom, I'm going to be another frontline soldier and you're not stopping me. I feel like in this day and age, well, and, and probably always, you know, when the enemy comes, he comes to attack men. Because it's almost like a two for one deal. He attacks the man. Man's supposed to be the head, you know, the head of the family, the head of the the church, the head of of the the house. And then he's gonna get the woman too. Amen. Yep. You know, and, and like I said, it puts tears to my eyes sometimes because as a mother, I, I and I say this all the time, you know, I I know friends of mine who have who feels safer that their, their son is in jail. And, you know, I wonder like with you, when you say, um, you know, sometimes you get a little, you know, angry and, you know, uh, when the community isn't really a hundred percent on your side, do you think it's still healing that you're doing? Like, do you think that you fully healed from that abuse and everything that you face in that household? Because I know with, uh, abuse, especially when it comes from a dominant figure, when it comes from a masculine to a masculine, that type of abuse, it, it resonates, it, it leaves scars. It leaves, um, a lot of deeper, deeper, pretty much like onion peel wounds. And, um, the, do you feel that? Yeah, most definitely. Challenged. Uh Oh, I mean, all the time. I, I, I can say I, I think I felt it more at the beginning than I do now, um, and it's just because of my growth uh, and my relationship that I've built with Christ. Right. You know, at the beginning, you know, I didn't understand a lot of things. I didn't know why certain things happened. I didn't know why God allowed me to go through certain things. Um, I didn't, you know, know a lot of things and. Before I knew it, you know, uh, God went ahead and was revealing certain things that, he, like, I had to go through these things. I had to know certain things. I had to uh, understand it. And honestly, if you think about it, the only reason that we go through a lot of the things that we go through and we feel the certain, you know, the pain, the hurt, is not to harm us and not to, you know, put us in a bad situation it's to help us grow like when i i use the analogy um when you're working out working out don't feel good it's not until after you got done working out that it feels good but during the process i mean it hurts to lift a certain amount of weight it hurts to run a certain amount of miles it hurt they're like oh my god i can't i can't but then afterwards and your body's healing you feel better. And that's how, that's how it is with Christ. You're going through all these, pro these things and man, it hurts. It bothers. It's painful. It's a mental stress, mental anguish. But then through God's healing, you start to realize like, man, I only went through that because he wanted me to go through it, but he never forsake me to the point where I couldn't 
I couldn't handle it. He just wanted to strengthen me. He wanted me to build and learn off of it. Well, and I always say, you know, in Psalms 23, the way he talks about, you know, it, it, you know, he lies me down in green pastures. He, 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 see, he, he leads me through troubled waters. So he's not really saying that the waters aren't going to be troubled. Like, Hey, you're not going to, you're going to guide through this life. You're going to coast through this life and there's never going to be a problem. No, that's not the reality. The reality of what he's saying is, is that he's going to guide you through troubled waters. He's going to lie you on green pastures. He's going to go before you and clear the signs of danger. You know what I mean? That's why, you know, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I don't fear any evil because he's walking in front of us. You know True. what I mean? He, True. and, and, you know, how do you handle that? when somebody says, how can, how is God for me when I haven't seen him in all that I've done? What do you answer to that? Thing is that, you see, we we breathe air, right? The the cliche is that you can't see air, but you know it's there. Um, there's so many things in life that we really don't see. We just have to believe it. I can only go and tell a person, look, I can't force you to understand. I can only tell you through my testimony. That's why God gives us a testimony. So I tell them the things that I went through. The times when I went through the abuse, I could have been that kid that easily would have went and because I was scared. I wasn't no tough kid. I wasn't, uh, you know, this hardcore little kid. I was a scared little kid. But, I, you know, everything that I went through as a little kid, I could have been easily the one that was suicidal. You know, um, the times I went to prison uh, and I didn't want to be inside the prison, you know, those were other things that I could have done. I always went ahead and was able to overcome them because he was really there. And I'll give a perfect example. Um, as a man of God today and serving God since, you know, what, 2016, I still today deal with things where I have to put my faith in him and not know what's really going to happen. But because I believe in him so much and him not forsaking me and him, you know, truly being there for me, I know I'm okay. Um, this past year has been a true testament to my life and everything that I've gone through. At the beginning of um, this year, and it started at the end of last year, but at the beginning of this year, I had to have my leg amputated. You know, um, didn't think, man, why in the world <laughs> would my leg, you know, I broke it. But I went through nerve damage and the 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 bone healed, but the nerves didn't. So I ended up having to get, you know, my uh, lower right leg uh, amputated off. But I didn't take it as a bad thing because I really believe that the only reason that God is allowing this to happen is so that I won't go through any suffering or pain because I'm a street minister. I'm on these streets. I'm walking these streets. And he needs to me for me to be at my strongest to do so. So I got a leg taken away from me. But now I have a prosthetic where I feel a lot stronger. I don't feel pain. I don't feel any hurt. And I'm able to keep on moving and keep going. You know, that's one thing that I had to face. Another thing I had to face, I was at a six-figure income job a year. 
And because of being out of work on, uh, you know, this, this, for this disability, uh, what they call a disability, um, God had put it inside of me. I've been telling you, you know, for the last few years, trust in me, I will provide, I'll go ahead and do everything that I was supposed to be a full-time minister. And I'm like, everything was always my job. I was dedicated to my job. You know, I never had a job. I never had a 401k. I didn't have anything. I always hustled. Now, for the last five years, this is all I've been doing is working. And I didn't think, you know, I could ever leave my job. But God kept on and people would talk to me. And God kept showing me different signs of being a full-time, you know, minister. And I'm like, man, I don't know. I don't know. Well, God finally went ahead and gave I, where I didn't have a choice. My job was taken away from me. They terminated my position while I was out on disability so that if I wanted to go back, now I got to go back to an hourly wage. Now I have to go back to, you know, applying for insurance, all these things all over again. Yeah. So it was a decision like, man, what do I do now? Okay, God, you know what? I believe in you. I believe that you're going to provide it. All these months I've been living fine, that I've been out of work. You know, I've been, you know, I haven't had to struggle not one bit. Then um, I lost uh, my mother, which was a heart, like, right after that. You know what I'm saying? And my mother was everything to me. But I lost her while she was in my arms. I thought she was falling asleep. And in reality, she was, uh, um, she was passing away. And what was bugged out even more about that is that I was able to baptize my mother. She was able to receive Christ before she passed. Oh, and so I knew where she was going. You know, I knew that, you know what? She's not, God's not uh, taking her and her life is ending. Her life is just beginning because she's going home to be with the father. She's where I want to be. You know what I'm saying? So I looked at that as a blessing. Then a couple months go by and I'm in the hospital on a freak, you know, pain in my stomach and I'm fighting for my life. Had surgery and I was still fighting. The surgery wasn't a success, but I believed in God. And I said, God, if this is my time to go, then it's my time to go. But I don't believe it is. And I don't think you're you're telling me it is. So I believe whatever's going to happen in my body you're going to heal it. You're going to fix it. And I told the doctor that, and the doctor looked at me like, man, he has, you know, like something's wrong with this guy, but okay. Cause I went in there and I tried to fix what I could, but he's not getting better. And I stayed two more weeks and I was able to walk out the hospital, wow. you know? Um, and in that process, you know, uh, I lost a sister um, she had uh, stomach cancer and my baby sister passed away. So now I'm down to three siblings that have passed away that are younger than me. But I still had to have faith that God had a bigger plan, that God isn't forsaking us, that God isn't hurting us. So all these things in the midst of all these things happening, I was I was in a good spot in my life. I was in a good place in my life. And it was because of God. So I can't sit there and tell every single person that I can tell you exactly how to prove something to you other than look what I've been through. 
look what has happened to me. And because I believe in God and I believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, at the end of the day, I'm a living, walking, breathing testament because through all of that, I've been able to travel the, the country. I've been able to keep on ministering his word and still believing in him and not had to have to want for nothing in the world. Everything has been provided. Like I don't do what I do to make money. Everybody knows this. I don't put out a, you know, a, 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 a basket and say at uh, these events and, yo, I need uh, donations there. Nah, God provides everything. So much that he's providing, you know, a place, you know, for me to do my ministry. He's also providing a place for me to live. He's provided, you know, the food every day. He's provided everything. Why? Because in Matthew 17, it says, if you have faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed, then everything you want will be provided. And he's given it to me. I have that faith. I don't have faith. Just any amount of faith. I have the smallest amount possible. The dot of an ink pen. That who God is and who he is in my life. That's awesome. And to have that type of faith is hard after everything that you've, you know what I mean? Gone through like anybody, you know, where, where some people, and I'm not going to say man or woman, where some people would be crushed at the things that you've gone through, here you are persevering and, and even giving back, still evangelizing, ministering to people who need it. And here you came from a broken childhood and abusing. I mean, my, my, my sincere and humble respect to you for just being able to get through that. Like, I mean, that's an inspiration to others. What what do you think would be a message that you would give to somebody that's going through something like that? I mean, so like, you know, somebody, they're going through the same problem you went through, but they got a different demon. What would you say? What would be an encouragement that you would give them? Man, it, it, it sounds, uh, because I'm a, a, an evangelist or, you know, a man of God, it sounds cliche, but give everything to God. The simplest thing is... Don't give him some of it. Don't give him part of it. Give it all to him because at the end of the day, he's going to give you, he's going to give you what you need. Maybe not what you want, but he's going to give you what you need. And it might not happen in in uh, your time, but it's going to happen in his time. And he's going to give you the peace that you feel within. Look, I'm not a pastor. I, I'm an evangelist because I give the gospel. I travel city to city and give the gospel. So that's why, I, but I don't take a title. I'm just a servant of the Lord. I am a man of God that truly believes that if you give not 99.9, this is in a DNA test. If you give 100% or more, the same effort that you gave in and the same energy that you gave into the stress, the anxiety, the hurt, the pain. You give more than what you gave into that and trust and believe God is going to make a way. And it, you might not understand it right away, but keep seeking him because he will give you the answer. And multiply it. Mm-hmm. And multiply it. What? Well, looking forward and looking ahead, what 
what are your plans? Like, what's next for you? Um, man, God is God is actually planned so much uh, and put so many things in my path. Right now, it's um, I do an event called Celebration of Life, um, and it's for the, anyone that lost somebody to the streets uh, through gang violence or addiction or anything like that. And it was inspired, like I said, um, because of my brothers. But that has grown so much, um, being able to touch the lives of, you know, not just the believers, but anyone that isn't a believer in God. Um, and more people are drawn to it. So, and it's opened so many doors. Like I said, this past year, we were able to go into the um, public school system um, and do the event in there. Um, I've been connected with the Puerto Rican Festival Committee here in Vineland. And it's crazy because 56 years ago when the Puerto Rican Festival started, it was started through a Pentecostal church and Pentecostal church members. And never once, other than the church service before the festival started, did it have anything to do with the um, preaching the word of God. And now we're in there, you know, on the very first night of events, which is team night from here on out. You know, that's uh, that platform was given to us um, by uh, Mr. Leonidas Negron and the committee. And it's an honor and a blessing because one, as Puerto Ricans, we're very proud. But it feels so much even more to be able to not only be proud about our heritage, but be proud that the reason we are who we are is because God created us, right. you know, and be able to do that. So that's like the main focus is to be able to travel and keep doing, um, spreading the gospel and helping uh, people in the communities. Um not just where I can, it has to be a spiritual or religious event. I want to be able to break down the doors where I can go into venues and places where people are like, hold on, this, this ain't a Christian event, but this is the man of God giving the word of God, you know? And I see that more and more happening with the people that I've connected with. We've got people opening up boxing events. I've got people on the team that are going in and into the music industry, into, you know, into the movies, into different things. God willing, um, next year, uh, I'm in the process of right now shooting documentary. And God willing, it'll be on Netflix next year, you know. And I don't do this to glorify anything that I did, but to give all glorification to God himself. And let it be known that this isn't about making a name for myself, but bringing out the name of Jesus Christ in everything that we do every day. Not just only when we got to drop to our knees and tell him to, you know, help me out with this or get me out of that. um, And I'm not, I like at the end of the day, I, I truly believe that if, you know, everything you do in life, like just put God first, put God at the center of it, make God the foundation, make him, you know, um, the common denominator, however you want to word it, everything is through God because we wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for him. No, I mean, look at your story. And, 
you know, again, the, the arcan nobody really knows the background story, but our connection came from a third party person who mm-hmm. was inspired by your story and gave me your story. And when I started doing this movement, I wanted to do 12 days. I, I really, like I said, my, my podcast is based on nursing travels and, and nursing and labor and delivery and the things that I know best, or at least that I've known best for the last 10 years. And, um, but for Christmas, it wasn't settling in my soul to just do 12 days of labor and delivery tales or 12 days of deliveries or 12 days of travel tales. Let me go to a different place every day. For some reason, after careful, careful thought, it wasn't settling. But I knew that I wanted a 12-day theory. Like a, a, I wanted it based on 12 days because I, the, the song, The 12 Days of Christmas, kept popping up in my head. And it wasn't until like maybe day two or day three in doing this that I, and I mean, like I said, this has already been a week long thing for me. And it wasn't until like day two or day three, as I was going to the word and, and reading and I'm, I'm looking. And for some reason, I, I don't know how I missed it, but the number 12 just kept coming up and I missed it every time. And I said, the 12 disciples, I'm really doing a series about 12 people who, despite anything and everything that could have possibly gone wrong in their life, either A, sought God and sought God or sought their higher power, because whatever, nothing stopped you from paying it forward. And I feel like that the people were called to me, that the it was the right person, the right story, and, and the right time. And I, I thank you for uh, wholeheartedly for last minute, just getting together and doing this. And I'm, I'm, I'm floored because it was meant for your story to be out there. And maybe that God has a purpose for this, whether it be a connection, whether it be bringing people to you to help you volunteer, to help lighten your load, whatever it is that God's plan was for me to be able to put this, I'm, I'm happy and I'm honored to be able to do it. If um, anybody wants to get a hold of you is gangsters on godly at disciples.com. Is that a good address? Yeah, that's my email address. Um, they can reach me there. Um, I also have a, a phone number and like, I, I have no problem giving out my number. It's the ministry number. It's 609-746-8115. The best way to reach me on there is through text message first, because I get calls from everywhere just because it's a public, basically a public number to everybody. Um, so the text me first. If you want to reach me through that or through any social media outlets from Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, um, just you can go on Google, type in Gangsters Gone Godly, and it'll put uh, direct you to my website. Um, you could reach me, you know, through there, different things. Um, but I mean, the best way to get in contact, like I said, would probably be through uh, the phone the phone or the email. All right. There you have it. I, I am so thankful again for you. And I, I, I know that God has much, much more in store for you, but you didn't need me to tell you that because you have a lot of faith and I'm, you probably knew that already. <laughs> yeah. I know he has a lot planned. Um, and I, I, for someone who came from where I came from, 
I just truly believe that if he can do this with me, he can do this with anybody. Like, I I know it. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. Like, I'm not supposed to be, you know, blessed to be able to even do this interview. I'm not supposed to be, you know, um, for anything that has happened in my life since coming back home to Christ. It's always like... Man, you look at anything from my past and there was never nothing good as far back as a little kid. Like I had nothing good. And now to be any type of light is truly an honor and a blessing. I'm excited about what's happening next with you and and I fully supporting you. Amen. Amen. And that's the thing. Um, yeah, we're definitely going to be doing something like that with uh, from Gangs to God. It's another thing I have going on um, this year, 2024 coming up. Um, just from all over the country, different former gang members, street guys, um, and how God, how God has changed their, their lives and what they're doing. Not just, okay, my life changed, but now you're truly being a disciple of God. You know, you're actually being out there, hands, you know, the way you were out there for the streets. Now you're out there doing God's work. Right. No, for sure. Thank you so much for having me. Um, it was truly a, an honor and a blessing to be able to be a part of this. And I pray that whatever God has planned for you, he keeps helping it to grow. He keeps showing you. He keeps opening doors for you. Um through every form, you know, every avenue from financial to spiritual to, you know, um, any way that you are looking for or things that you might not even expect that God gives that to you and your, your, your podcast and your life and the, the lives of your children as well. I receive that. I receive that in the name of Jesus. Thank amen. you so much. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in another episode in my 12-day series to try to bring 12 people forward who have, through adversity, found peace and healing through giving back. I am just in awe of Melvin and all he's done with Gangsters Gone Godly and the message that he's spreading not only to the citizens of New Jersey, but all over the world. Tune in as we share more amazing stories, maybe higher platforms, maybe lower platforms, but all for the same purpose, to give back, even through having your own struggles, just giving back.